Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 239 and this episode is with lead S&C coach at Ipswich Town, Ivan McCandy. Ivan came on the podcast literally days after uh, Ipswich securing their promotion back to the championship. So we started by talking about that. We went into an overview of the strength program at Ipswich as well how they manage strength training across the week, how that's linked to the microcycle and also post-match loading. We talked about isometrics, developing acceleration, hamstring health. And then we went into some of Ivan's PhD topics around post-match fatigue testing and data analysis. And we also then spoke about the importance of the academy pathway up to first team as well. So plenty of topics covered in this one. I promised in the last couple of episodes that I would have an announcement of a networking event, and we have. So our latest event is now confirmed at GoPerform. We're going to be heading back to GoPerform, an amazing facility down in Reading, on Tuesday the 4th of July, 6 till 9pm. We've got two brilliant speakers for the event. Pody Rose is going to be presenting lead physical performance coach for Arsenal Women, alongside Will Haler, who's Reading FC's Academy Sports Scientist. So it's set to be a great evening. Early bird tickets are available as this podcast goes out. So go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab, and you'll be able to get your tickets there. We are also very close to getting another meeting confirmed, which is going to be in the Northwest on the 13th of June. Hopefully in the next episode, I'll have all the details confirmed for that event. So keep an eye out for that over on our socials at Football Fit Fed on Twitter and Instagram and just Football Fitness Federation over on LinkedIn. Just before we get into the episode, I want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors. First of all, a company that are keeping our house well fed, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more, and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and use code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, if you're on the Good Preps plan, any of the plans, Make sure to check out the shredded chicken, the barbecue chicken. That is my favorite by an absolute mile, so check that one out. Also, a company that we are going to be covering quite a lot about over the next few episodes because we've got a few guests coming on to talk about some of their experiences with Hytro. And I've said in the last few episodes, I've now got the shorts. Um, I've been playing around with a few recovery, some passive recovery work, which I really like. Um, you can literally just strap in whilst watching telly or just chilling at home, um, but also some horrible finishes on the end of some leg sessions. Um, well worth checking out. Go to hydro.com. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sports teams and athletes, Hydro is the only performance BFR brand to create 
pressure validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the change room post game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. So check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. And last but definitely not least, a massive thank you to Rezzle doing some incredible work in the world of VR. Make sure to go and check them out on socials at Rezzle. And thank you for their support. And let's get into episode 239 with Ivan McCandy. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 239. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast, Ivan McCandy. Ivan, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, well, just, you know, recovering from all the, the um, parties, but yeah. I was, just well. about, I was just about to touch on that. So for anyone that doesn't know, I'm sure you've seen on the graphic that we put out, Ivan's first team or head of strength conditioning at Ipswich. And it's been one hell of a season, mate, hasn't it? With days after um, essentially lifting the second place, confirming that promotion. So congratulations! Yeah, thank you very much. That it's been like it's it's been a great season. I have to give credit to like all the all the staff and the performance team and the coaches that we have and the players. It's been a phenomenal year, and it's been world class to see the boys get the credit they they deserve as well. So brilliant! And there might have been a few celebrations, yeah. Ah, oh, there's been plenty. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, I, I, I live like an hour and a half away from the um, from from Ipswich, so I couldn't get a party too much. I couldn't get that many Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's been good. It's been quality. brilliant, brilliant. Well, let's touch on it a little bit, and um, we're going to start on you and your career. So we'll get you to run through that in a second. And I know we're going to dig into the um, strength program at the club as well, and some of the things you put in place. So. Start on yourself, mate. Where did what led to the role at Ipswich? Um, so I I like started at Bournemouth Uni, um, where I was um I took a placement year, and then I was S and C for the uni for the uh, Bucks teams, which was a phenomenal role. So I was essentially coaching my mates on a Monday and Tuesday, then out with them on a Wednesday. And then coaching <laughs> on the first day and Friday, out with them Friday night, and then back to it again. But it was a great role because. I, I was on my own and um, it meant, you know, I had like hockey, football, cricket, like any sport, my, my sports in, in, in a box setup, which was a phenomenal year for me to learn like what I shouldn't, shouldn't do. So for example, everyone did a hanky no matter what sport it was, because I just didn't know any better, you know, everyone did a deadlift or squat in the same, it just didn't matter, but I learned so much during, during that time. When I left Bournemouth, Went to Queen Mary Uni, where I was in SNC there as well. And again, I was a bit more mature now, but still in the university setting. Did my master's with uh, uh, Middlesex Uni with uh, Anthony Turner and um, 
and Chris Bishop and John Cree, those guys were there as well. And I got the chance to work with Anthony with the British Fencing Academy as well. So it was a great time again to learn from lecturers who are also working in applied setting. And the main SNC seems so, so simple, which was really, really good for us is in terms of why you do that lift, why, why you do these drills and like agility or strength or, what, or whatever it was. They made it so, so simple for us. And then from um, Queen Mary, once working in the um, um, uh, US, so left to work in uh, to coach football or soccer. I was meant to be there for nine months on a H2 visa. I think I lasted two months. I just thought it was just, it wasn't the right job for me, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just knew this wasn't the right move for me. So I literally drove the car to the airport, called my boss, I quit, flew back. <laughs> without without a, a job, um, then got in at um, Cambridge Uni with um, Tristan Coles. I was an um, SNC and fitness in, in there with with the um, rugby, rowing, and the MCC cricket as well. And again, that was meant to be like long term. Maybe it lasted four or five months. I was just bored. There wasn't enough happening, so quit that. Went to work as a lecturer in um, further education. Then realized this is not for me either. Lasted maybe two, three months. Um, quit that without a next job. <laughs> and then I uh, applied for the role at Arsenal Academy. And luckily, Des gave me the chance, and Paul D gave me, gave me the chance. I was there for like um, seven years. And then from then on, got into um, Ipswich. But I think Arsenal was really phenomenal for us because we were there for like so long and we all grew up within the actual system itself. And I uh, got the chance to work with under nines, under 23s and the women's first team as well. So I learned so much during that time. And now here we are, League One, going up. <laughs> Amazing, brilliant. I just mentioned before we start recording that Des did have the presentation for us over in Dublin and mentioned yourself and a lot of the other coaches involved yeah. in the whole programme at Arsenal. And it's obviously a special place, isn't it? Because like you mentioned, stayed there for seven years. I'm sure there's people that have been there probably longer and similar sort of time. So there's obviously a lot of good, good stuff going on. Yeah, I think the best thing about it was we had a framework and we all expressed ourselves within that framework. So you'd never see two sessions the same um, with the different, but with me and Sam and Pordy and all, you'd never see that. But the framework was still the, the same. And it was a it was a great place to be because you never felt like you were the smartest in the room, me personally anyway, which meant you're always learning from, from other people. So no matter what, session whether there was a speed a strength pre-training or post-training there's people doing different things to you you can always you can always ask them why luckily we had the resources as well in terms of that the, the facility we had is absolutely world world class but still the basics didn't, didn't change so what, what's quite interesting is we were in a marquee when i um got there for like two seasons just four racks and a few benches and dumbbells and that was it when we're building our new performance center at that time, we had obviously paper-based plans. And the plan I did at that time and what I did in the new place was actually the same. Mm. You know, so the principles never really change, making boys stronger and more supple. And Des did it in a way where he, he would never micromanage people, but he was always there for you if, if you needed to talk to, to somebody as well and move things forward or change certain things. So it was a great, great time. And I'm so grateful for the with for the boys there and, and the players as well to where I've got to today. Yeah, brilliant. 
You mentioned there about working in a few different sports, some of which you've obviously enjoyed more than others, but was football always where you wanted to end up? No, no, not not at all. Um, Cricket is where I I, I, I want to do. So maybe I might still do it one day, but you you travel so much. So it's with a family, with a young family, so it's quite um, a difficult role to have. So the boys that do it, fair play to them. But cricket was, was the main passion. I think football, I'm good at learning. So I did my B license and uh, just because I can learn, you know, I can learn the principles and they helped when talking to um coaches. But um yeah, football isn't. So even now in the in the role, um I'm more passionate about helping people. Yeah. So if the athlete was hockey or whatever, I'd be as buzzing as I as I am right now for what we've achieved because I'm more attached to helping the individual and not actually to you know, okay, it's football, great. Um, I'm happy I'm there, but it's more about helping the, the person, really. Yeah, brilliant. Let's get into a, a bit of more detail on the programme at Ipswich now. So just yeah. kick us off with, can you give a little bit of an overview on the programme? Obviously, the, it's a hectic schedule. There's games left, right and centre in League One, and it's going to be similar probably going up into the Championship as well. Give us a yeah. little bit of an overview in terms of some of the things that you've put in place initially in the programme. Yeah, sure. So just, just as a starter, it, it's a, something that has been put together by the whole team, by the whole perf, perf performance team. So we have a head of sports science, um, head of SNC myself. We have um, head of medical and the director for performance as well. So everyone's always involved in what we do and what days and, and why. And so our program is we train, let's say we play on a Saturday, we'll train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, low day Thursday, prep Friday, play Saturday as well. So with that framework, um, everyone's passionate about making players better. And that came from the manager as well. The manager and the staff are so passionate about football and making players. But he's, our, our gaffer came from an academy setting, so he always wants to make players better. So when that was then told to us, I thought, okay, fine, always be the case. So whatever we do, is to improve the individual, whether they're going to be staying with us or moving on, whatever it is, we're still invested in that play, whether they're a starter or not. So with that, essentially we do Monday uppers, Tuesday um, isos, Wednesday lowers, Thursday down day. But if we have an under 21 who's within the first team, they'll do the same, but they'll do uppers on a Thursday as well. They might not play that much come the weekend so we just wanted to make those players better but within that framework it then means we'll look after the, the individual but that's basically what we do so our ISO for example is an overcoming ISO day only which is then linked to an intensive session on the pitch and on the Wednesday it's a max speed day the biggest basis day on the pitch we do our lowers that day knowing they'll be sore on the Wednesday they recover Thursday and the uppers depends on the individual. So some players working on their axle, for example, will, will, will um, still do clean pulls, snatch pulls of blocks, rather than just bench press pull-ups. It's more so what we're trying to improve on the pitch. How can every session help towards that? Brilliant. If we can dive in on a bit more detail around the ISO, so what does that look like in terms of some exercise selection now? Yeah, so the, again, it's linked What's what's really important is you know you want to enhance performance you want to mitigate injury risk as well, so we've linked it really well where 
if the outcome is, let's say, working on Axel with a player, then we'll do the joint angles that are similar to that position we want to work on. How, how, however, it's still long muscle lengths. So we'll do hamstring push, ankle push, is it the seated or against the rack standing if it's a if it's a top speed focus on the rack if it's axel seated um squat push wall drill push uh mid thigh pull with the three options for the um overcoming iso as well in that aspect and again it depends on what want to develop with the player and then we usually then potentiate our isos with um jumps as well and the jumps are also linked to what that player needs so if it's, um, for example, we will also do our counter-movement jump and um, RSI assessments. We'll look at the jump strategy for the player and then decide what to work on and um, and why. So if, if a player has a really long eccentric duration, then they'll be doing more things like drop jumps to try to reduce that time. So it would depend on what, the, what that player needs and we'll then potentiate the, um, the jumps with the, um, ISO, um, ISOs on the um, um, ISO day. Real. And how much, in terms of that decision, how much does the position of the player inform that decision as well, does it not? Um, it would depend. It does to, to some degree. So you look at the, what the manager wants from the team. So I don't necessarily talk to the manager and say, what do you want? But as in, you hear the team talks, you hear the prep, you, you, you know he wants his strikers to press, for example, from like starting position, uh, from, from like goal kicks, or if they're trying transitioning to a um, press, which that then means they have to project well, they have to move across the first four or five yards quickly. So that's what he, what he wants. We then work on that as well, and then across the across the whole team as well, we we have to consider that the gym is basic; it's like general strength. So you're giving players that foundation to do what they need to do on the pitch. Or in a way, what I learned from Tom Farrow, who's um, Speedworks, is you want to give the player as much time to make the right or wrong decision on the pitch. So physically, then that means, okay, are you strong enough? Are you fast enough? And then decide what to do. The coach will help you with that process. So it is very, it is general. To, to some degree, but we'll go into some specifics when it becomes like um axel day. So for for example, your center halves and strikers always do their um axel turning and sprinting, as they would do probably on the pitch when they have to um do that. It's unlikely you will start in a two-point starts facing forward unless um goal kick and you, you're gonna go and press, then fine. But if a game if the ball is in play, you will rarely be just standing waiting to, to um, run forward. Yeah, brilliant. And in terms of the rationale around why the ISO session is where it is during the week, what was the sort of thought process behind that? So we um, split it into two, into us. So we do yielding ISOs and we do uh, pushing. The yielding, obviously, more eccentric in nature. So they go on the Wednesday before the um, uh, day off. We did them on the Tuesday for the hammies, for example. What you might then find is the players are a bit sore going in, in, into their max speed. Whereas if it pushes only, they only push as hard as they can on the on the on the day. I think you you recover quite quickly from the from those ISOs before you, you, there's a big day on the um, Wednesday. So it was really just around that, and 
we found with the Monday Tuesday model something that's something that then has to give as in you can't then do everything on that Tuesday session if we do it on the Thursday it's a bit too close to the game for the players mentally that you'd rather do it further away from the game yeah 100% and then how does that change as well with like what happens in in the leagues in terms of midweek fixtures and the craziness that comes with scheduling as well how does that change the plan yeah, so that's something that I think I probably will need to re reflect on this season. Um, whether we change it, I'm not sure, because we've had very, very little. We only had one soft tissue injury this year, so it has worked to some degree. But if it's a Saturday, Tuesday, and it's the same players playing, then they, they're just going to re re recover, really. But the subs, the non-playing group and the subs, would load after the game. So if it's a, they're playing on a Tuesday, then they might do hamstring holds post-match as they're loading. So they're still, if required, pressure to play on the Tuesday. But if it's a one game week, the subs on a Saturday will then do a proximal or distal hamstring ex exercise after they're running. And then they'll be still, they're still sore, but come Monday, they're fine to get back into, into training really. So you're just maximising the time after games to, yeah. to, to take care of players that haven't necessarily played full games and got the full minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and it also depends where where we are, and we you have to look after the player. So, if you're away and you have to, there's a bus journey, and you're gonna come back. It's eight, six six hours on the on the bus. I'm saying, right, lads, do your RDL, leave that, come do your hamstring holds. They'll be like, I can do one. Yeah, you've got a long way to to travel, and you you, you got to consider the stuff on the player. So then we then pick one thing for them to do rather than doing a lot. But if we're at home and we there's a there's enough space then we might do the holes and the hamstring work post match. Yeah, brilliant. And, and just touching back on the acceleration point as well in terms of developing acceleration. Obviously, that has been pinpointed by yourselves um, as a as a staff from something that the manager wants with the style of play. It's obviously important in the system as well. So can you touch on that a little bit more on in terms of how you go about that with the players? Yeah, sure. So it's um, we'll so what what we do with the players is they'll have a prep session on a on on a, on the Tuesday prior to going onto the the pitch, and everything that day will be geared towards Axel. So we might then do pause um broad jumps, we'll do projection drills, wall wall drills, um seated hurler hops. Everything will be like concentrically based, and that's split between myself. John Ashton, our um, fitness coach, and Kit Barnes, our assistant sport scientist. So we'll never have one member of staff with the whole squad. It's then split into um, three. And then within those groups, you have players who are, like again, developing. They're much younger players, or players in the middle, or players who are a bit older. But the whole focus is still on um, Axel for that day. So all the plow, the prep is geared towards that. My group, which is the, the much younger boys might then do sled work as well before they go onto the, the pitch. But it just depends who you've got in your group, but the whole focus is in, on um, um sorry, Axel. What then happens after that is the manager will then present what they're doing for the session. And it will usually then be, again, in small, in small areas where the players have the opportunity to then do more Axel with the session as well. Yeah. And prior to the session starting, the warm-up 
well, it's actually not a warm up. It's an Excel session. Probably shouldn't use that word at all, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they'll they'll start with different start positions, whether it's front, rear, side. They will transition from a pre action into an Excel and a D cell, depending on what that player needs and what the staff think the player needs as well. So the whole system is then set up to flow easily into the session. And the first two, three drills that the manager will do with his staff, again, will focus on Axel within the context of the game and the model that they want to use. It's obviously very important, that link between the work that you're doing and the microcycle, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is, it is. Because uh, And I think uh, something I've learned being around men rather than being around like kids when I was with um, Arsenal is the kids will just do as you as you say but with the older guys you've got to tell them why they're doing it yeah and respect where they've um, come from so if some players in like previous clubs when they were coming through and didn't do a lot of work pre-training you've got to sell that idea to them like we're not going to injure you but we're going to make you better and they will always engage more with the context that they um just put into it but with the group we have we've seen a big buy-in as well from the day from the minute we start with the uh, prep work that is linked to Axel everyone buys into it they still compete during that phase before they go into the actual session as well with the um, coaching staff definitely this underlines the importance I know you mentioned before about uh, the UEFA B qualification. I think this underlines the importance of the game understanding as well, doesn't it? Because when you have these conversations with players, this is where it's make or break, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think what what we do well is there's always um clips in the whole um turning round of the game of, of of training. So you can probably then just say to them, look at look at this. How can we make this better? And yeah. you can it, and it depends which players you're talking to. So some players, the younger ones, where it's more of a big brother, jokey kind of relationship, you'd highlight whether things went wrong for yeah. them. But not in there, but again, to say this is why we're doing X, Y, and Z. And for us, when we're playing League One, we want to go and compete in the in the champ. We have to all assume that's a lot harder physically than where we've just come from. Mm. We're actually preparing players for the league above rather than doing enough to compete against the teams we work against in, in our own, own league. So the standards we're trying to set in terms of work ethic and how much we do is to prepare for the league above. Yeah, definitely. You, you mentioned before as well about the pretty outstanding injury record from this year, which I'm sure in terms of availability has um, definitely helped with the performances on the pitch. So, can we touch on that a little bit, especially around sort of common injuries like hamstrings? Like, what's been the approach to that? Yeah, so again, the the like performance team has been spot on. Like, everyone has an input in what we do in terms of max speed ex exposure um, on the pitch and working with the staff. And what the coaches do really well is you all you 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 know what's coming, as yeah. you know it's intensive, you know it's extensive. And we've got such a good culture within the team where even if they come into the gym and they say, I've, that was a hard session, the fact that they've come to tell you means they're willing for us to modify the gym session anyway. So they never, rather than saying it was hard, I'm not going to the gym 
or you, you should have maybe a child, okay, but your calves are, are fine. You can probably still do legs. If you want to do leg press, and do hip thrust, you just can't do Nordics today, yeah. for example. So the culture within the club is absolutely ph phenomenal, where the guys will still come in, no matter how hard the um, session was. That's the first one. And then the second one is what we've done is we have red, yellow, green gym sessions. So if, if a player has played every Saturday, Tuesday for the, for, the, for the last maybe three weeks, it's unlikely then they'll come on a clear week and do a red gym session, which will be the high intensity and volume. They'll go onto green. But if you've played some of the games and all the games, you might do a moderate session. If you haven't played much, you might do a red session. That's the first part. We've then also split the work across the, the season. So last season we would do proximal and distal hamstring work on the um, Wednesday. Whereas this year we do one or the other. So if you have a, let's say it's week one, you might do trap bar deadlift, you might do Nordics and do your ISOs and do your calf work and your frontal plane work as well. But the next week, when you're back in the game the gym, you then do split squat, you still do your ISOs, you might then do seated calf rather than standing calf, you might do Taxi lunge rather than lateral lunge, then you do single leg of the L. You would never do both within the same session. So yeah. players are now feeling fresher going into, into the games, but still keeping the strength work going all the time across the year. And then what then happens is if let's say you were non used sub, so if on a Wednesday you did RDL, then on the Saturday after the game you do single leg sideboard. So always going from proximal to distal, from high force to low force. So you never see a player doing RDLs in week one, Nordics in them week two. It doesn't go between high force and low force, proximal or distal as well. If you've seen the Football Fitness Online community and you're not quite sure whether it's for you, the good news is you can sign up today and you can get a 30-day free trial to see what it's all about. It's a great time to sign up as well. We've got a number of different content coming soon, including a career periodization webinar from Josh Fletcher. We've also got a couple of presentations ready to upload from our meeting down at Bristol City, a readiness to perform presentation and also return to play. We've also got a periodization webinar coming very soon and the presentations that will be at our Reading event at Go Perform, they will be uploaded as well as the soon-to-be-announced event, which is going to be in the Northwest um, on the 13th of June. All those presentations will be available to watch on the community. So if you're not already a member, make sure you go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, get yourself signed up there, and get yourself a free month. After your free month, you can join our WhatsApp group, and you can connect with it practitioners worldwide joining some of the discussions that happen on there and get some early insights into some job opportunities as well so go and check it out footballfitfed.com click the community tab and sign yourself there for a free month here's part two of the podcast with Ivy McCandy brilliant and has that changed do you feel like that's made a big impact to availability for this season I think in terms of hamstring health and strength I think it um has definitely yeah. The players are definitely feeling fresh and going into it. And then you're not sitting on the bench a bit 
anxious about someone sprinting and pulling something. That hasn't been the case with us at yeah. all. That's obviously one part of it. The rest of it is still the much exposure they get from the pitches, from the sports science, and it costing and has worked really well close together to make sure the players are exposed in and out of um context of um the game. And then the recovery sessions we have on a match day plus two, minus two, and minus one. We've got a lot of A's, we've got um soft tissue, we've got ice bath, we've got flush on the bikes. So we're looking at everything and that might part contributes to that, to the success that we've had this year, really, in, in terms of health, like hamstring health. Yeah, brilliant. You could tell me that um, you don't want to answer this question. That's completely fine. But looking towards next season, obviously championship, what are some of the considerations you're going to make for the programme going into next year with the difference in sort of intensity of that league? Oh, do you know what? It's probably something that, like, it's 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 my first time going into the into um into the champs. So one thing Des always said to us was, um, what was it? Is it's not a revolution; it's it's an evolution. So you can't start again. You know, yeah. things that obviously have worked this year. How do we push it forward into um next year? So one thing we've done is in the off season the players' plans, they will do proximal and distal in the same session because yeah. playing any any games. So again, it's still diverse. So they might do, for example, might do RDL, might do prone um hamstring curl in like week in, in, in like one session. They'll do two sessions that week. In the other session, they might then do uh, they might then do Nordics rather than hip thrust. So yeah. they'll come back with a much bigger base, I hope. Then we then go back to our one per session model, I feel. And we, but maybe maybe more volume or more in, in intensity in season because they're coping with coping with them more. But I think we also have to be careful you don't empty the tank at the same time that the coaches empty the, the tank. Yeah. Yeah. Training will be hard, obviously. Um and I can control and modify gym a lot easier than you can ask the manager to um, modify for eight players during a session. Football always comes first, then either work off how the players are feeling and what they've done on the pitch. I get that sense in speaking to you. It's very much a cohesive approach to everything you're doing. Everyone's involved. Everyone's pulling in the same direction, whether it's gym, pitch, physio, oh, yeah. rehab. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it has to be. And again, it's probably like a, a reflection of mine is like, we're not as important as you think you are. Like there's, yeah. more, there's more to it than just getting the players strong, you know, because you're, you're, you're part of a bigger process. So they, they're there to play football. Yeah. They have to be able to, to do that every day and, and, and do what the manager requires of the intensity that he requires from them as well. So all I'm doing is giving them the opportunity to do that and doing my bit, you know, to help the, the coaches and the team and the club to move forward. But I think if you feel as if your kingdom is the most important one, then you might then do more than you need to, you know? And the players will always, again, I said, they'll, they'll tell me how they feel, but they now know the plan. So like the players will know that oh, last week I did RDL, I didn't really. This week I've got X, you know. Yeah. 
you've got to then work with players. So some players, for example, say, I don't like doing Nordics. I can't then impose Nordics on them because they're still doing distal hamstring work with the prone hamstring and the um, slide board. So they've still got that aspect in their session anyway. Mm-hmm. Or the physio will say, this guy has got a um, stiff back. I can't then do RDLs or split on RDLs with that player. We've got a um, Kaiser machine. So you can still get them on their back and do leg lowers with a slight bend. It's still a proximal hamstring ex- ex- exercise still. So you still find ways to still get the... Um, the um, work in, but it will, you're adapting to what the physio tells you and what the player tells you as well. That's just being creative as a coach, isn't it? And understanding, the, basically understanding the rationale why you're doing something. And if if the plan needs changing, it's easily changed then, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, that, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's the case. And I think you also learn more from like other than sports. So um, Jeff Robinson, one, one of our, our SNCs, he's now left to go to Ipswich School. Um, worked with Alex Wolf, did the SNC Academy, and they used the outcome-based approach. And it's something that I'm trying to embed into what I do every day. So I'll always learn from everyone around. So again, why am I doing this? Or how will that influence what this player is doing on the pitch? So then you then you need to match up the outcome and the health of, of the player and make sure both are um, going to influence what you're picking why. Yeah. Within the player. Yeah, brilliant. I want to just move it on now because I know this ties in with your PhD as well, yeah. Um, yeah. which I know you can touch on. But in terms of post-match fatigue testing, what's been the the setup that you guys have put in place for that? Yeah, so it's something that was didn't do we didn't do much of last season, um, but then um, I'm working with like Anthony and Crystal. Like this is an opportunity here. Was so, like, yeah, I'll, um. So it's embedded within the um, club. So this season we've done counter movement jump, we've done um, kanga tech adductor squeeze, we've done prone isometric hamstring. We then changed to supine at ninety degrees on the um, force plates, looking at our peak force, and then we use palms as well. Just we take sleep, mood, muscle soreness. Out of five, you pick each one. I do, do it on the app on the uh, Kitman Labs, and then we, we get all, all the um data through. And you to, you're trying to find what's sensitive to um fatigue. Now, this season at the moment, as much as everyone says, you know, jump strategy will show that they're tired on a group level, jump high is still more sensitive than all the other metrics in terms of saying, okay, is, is this player tired or not? Because they, they can still alter their strategy so they can be. Their duration, for example, might still be good, but they've, they've um, altered it, but their jump height is still poor. Right. Um, so we kind of looked at all these metrics, thinking about what's the best thing to do. So for next season, I think we're going to dial da- it down and look at jump height, the palms, mood, and sleep on a match day plus two. Don't, don't really tell you much. Was muscle soreness is, is the one that's more sensitive again. Of the um three, um, the um Kanga Tech is is good. It does show uh, fatigue using effect sizes on, on a group level. And then for the um hamstring ones, the challenge there is players to to engage and do the test. So you want you want a maximum effort. 
So we were doing current ISO and there were some complaints. So we went to SuperI 90 and that was actually more sensitive than the prone ISO. And again, players were doing more of the test. So it's only players I've played over 60 minutes on the Saturday, we then test them on the um, Monday. So that's, so that's the first part of the PhD to find out, you know, what's what's sensitive and why. And probably a good place to, to start with this is when we're sending out a um, survey as well to see what, what, what happens in um, elite football, like what do people do and why and how, and how do you assess how sensitive the test is to say, yes, he's tired, no, he's fine. He, um, he can then carry on training. And we tend to test on the Monday. On the Monday, we know it's a light day um, anyway. So if somebody's then flagged on all, all, all the tests, you then test them again Tuesday. And if they're still fatigued, then we tell the um, coaches, okay, we can hire this player. And at that point, I'll then modify my work in the gym if it's a, um, a clear week as well. So if you're flagging on the Tuesday, there's no point in me saying, right, I want five second grinds of everything in your ISO session. I'll then modi modi uh, modify that and be three second um, explode in in instead I'll then take away all the appliers in that session as well and then on the Wednesday then go onto a low like a green session I've been doing like orange or red when you were you're still fatigued but the player will still train brilliant so when do you think the um, survey will get sent out so we're hoping to do it in um at the end of the well at the start of the off season so very very soon I'll probably be reaching out to you again to to help to you know get it out there it's again to see what people do and how they measure it so for example if you use like you no know, like um like baseline data as saying this is when they're fresh and then you assess them against that they probably will show fatigue because they're not fresh but across the season they will always flag up red if you use baseline data or do you yeah. use a rolling average instead? And then do you use one kind of deviation from that or do you use um, what for change? Is it not going two times the, the um, SD? What what do you use and why and what's what's happening across the industry really? Then find out what's the, what's, what's the best way because this, this, this is going to be reported back to, to everyone that gives the data within hopefully two weeks. So that we can all share it and know this is how to look at post-match fatigue within a football setting. Brilliant. When it's all set and ready to go, send it me. And anyone listening, check the show notes because we'll put it in the show notes as well. So you can go go into the show notes, click it, and then hopefully get involved as well. Um, I don't know, just want to finish up on this around the importance of the academy as well and the academy programme. Feeding yeah. into the first team in terms of that you mentioned before Arsenal, the framework, the sort of vision of getting players through. So can you touch on that just a little bit in terms of some of the things you put in place? Yeah, sure. So we've got a very talented academy set up. Andy Langford does it under nine to under 16. Uh, we've got Craig and we've got Nikos in the under in the um PDP phase. And the assistant that I've got now, Danny Nye, came from British Weight lifting so he's not from a football background and that's very really important to have this diverse approach to developing players 
Once the players get to the first team and they can't do a hand clean on the calm back spot, and we're playing Saturday, Tuesday, it'll be very difficult to try and those things new. We'll soon find ways. They'll still do a trap bar leg press. We'll, we'll still find ways to get them strong. But the more competent players are coming through, the better. Because you've, you've got only got certain windows to make people more powerful in a way. So yeah, and they, have, they have to be comfortable to lift before training. But if you're doing it since you're under 12, when you get to first team, you then carry on doing it. But if, if I just started with you, when you get to the first team, we'll spend the first year just getting you to be okay with it. You're not doing a trap bar jump of um, 30 kilos. That's doing nothing for you. Mm-hmm. Until you're, you feel, okay, all right, I, I can do this now and then move things forward. So what we try to do is have really efficient movers from under 12 um, are coming through. And one thing I learned from uh, Perry, who's, uh, who's now leading at uh, Arsenal, is if you've got an actual framework in, in place and it doesn't work, you know why. You can go mm-hmm. back and look at it. If it works, you also know why. You carry on and you make it better. But if you just do as you see fit this month, you, you learn this, I'll try that or whatever, then you'll never know why things went well or didn't go um, so well. So people will always talk about the big players that came through the academy afterwards. They're great. The Kaya, Ramil, brilliant. But there's so many other players who don't who are not maybe not playing in the Prem, also came for their system and are still playing uh in, in Champion League One and abroad. And it goes to show that the framework did its um its job really in in producing players that are robust enough to handle men's football. And what I've also learned being at Ipswich is it's different to being at Arsenal. Is a player at Arsenal going loan to if um up to, to us or like to the champ. So you will look after them. Whereas a player who is in, in the academy to us will go on loan national national league or might go you know even lower lower divisions. So if that kid doesn't know how to look after themselves and what to do in their own time, they'll they'll come back worse off. We can, we can say, right, go, go and do a clean, go and do a squat, but they have to know when to do it, why I'm doing it, and how to do it as well in their, in their own, own time. So you've then got to develop indiv- individual learners within that process as well. I think having a framework that everyone under- understands from the staff perspective is then easy enough to apply it to the kids. Brilliant. I know that that section alone could probably be a whole different podcast, but it just yeah, yeah, to get you... yeah. No, insight I, into that yeah and I think like I think most coaches will still enjoy working with young players only because they actually want to do the work and there's more you can see more potential you know yeah. so if obviously being available is really really good but then as an SSC it's making people better is my still my main target and I think if your focus is to improve players but make them better then they're going to be coming a, a available anyway because they're obviously stronger and more like powerful and faster so and you will see that more with the young with the younger players so there's still a passion for that so for example even though i'm with the first team i will still help out with the under under 15s on a saturday morning when the schedule lets me because we're not a big club so you need everyone to still help across the whole pathway and the, the um, new guy coming in Danny will work with the under 21s support the first team 
but also then influence on the 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s, because he actually knows weightlifting better than me anyway. That's just where he's actually come from. So it's having the staff that are smart enough and humble enough to work with anybody within the club is also very, very important. That also helps with the transition for players as well, doesn't it? If they recognise yeah, yeah, the yeah. face and they've worked with you before, it's much easier yeah. to transition. Totally, totally. And I think if and if a player trusts you when they were under 14 and they're now in the first team and something goes wrong, they'll still trust the process anyway. Yeah. Important to have that relationship with like everyone across the club, really. Brilliant. Having some great information there. So thank you for that. Let's move on to the questions we always finish the podcast with. So some of the quick fires. Who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? So it's actually the people, it's actually not how good they are at the jobs, really. It's what how they've made me feel and they've made me evolve as a person. So um Kate Green um was our head of like uh, the psych department at Arsenal Academy. She was phenomenal. Des Ryan, Perry Stewart, Paulie Roach, Sam Wilson, Noel Carroll, all those guys, we we grew up together, you know, in the academy. And it was a it was a great time to be around that. And I think probably Chris Bishop and Anthony Turner are, are, are great guys only because they've made SNC seem so, so easy. Mm-hmm. Like we said earlier, there's this app and this data, there's this now, but it's still the basics have never really changed. And the, 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 and that's that's been really important for me. And I think now Andy Rolls, my, my current line manager, he sits across the desk for me because our office isn't big enough to have him have his own office. So you, so I now see what he does daily, and I'm thinking, hmm, I'm not sure I want to do that, or I do, or I don't. But it's so good to learn from somebody from a different discipline. Again, he came from a physio um, background, but it's how he treats people every day that's the most that's the biggest lesson for me, really. Brilliant. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? I think reflecting on the on the program and reflecting on the interactions with players and staff is really important. So you want to build relationships with um, staff and players, but you also have to reflect on, on how you behave and how you think they felt. And I think that's something I'm really conscious of because in the role I'm in now, I don't, I don't have to be on, on, on the pitch every day, which means you, you've got time within the day to plan train and reflect on how that session or, or how that block has, has been. Yeah. With players. Real. If you were able to have a discussion with Ivan back when he was working with the books teams, yeah. in terms of career, what yeah. would be your top bit of advice? I would say travel more, as in go travelling more, as in see the world more. Nothing to do with actually S&C or sport. Yeah, because I think in what we do, you once you come into it, you can't leave, and I think I think you get back in where you, where you left. Everyone wants the jobs, but the more life experience you you have as a the young person will only then help when you do enter the sport, you know. And probably the more different sports you can learn from, the better you be at whatever sport is the right one for you. If SSC or sports science is the way you want to go. Yeah, that's an important point as well, isn't it? Because like we mentioned before, football wasn't necessarily 
where you wanted to end up, or even where you do end up, but yeah, yeah. opportunities come, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because I think really it's making helping people. If that's what you want to do, then you could do it in most things. If you want to do it in SNC, then that's still got to be the main driver is to help somebody achieve their own potential. And then if you take pleasure from that, then you know, great. Awesome. Final question, mate. In terms of CPD or continued development, what's your approach to that now? Um, it's so so diverse now. Um, probably try and read a lot more. So currently, I've finished uh, Simon Sinek Infinite Game, Rebel Ideas by Matthew Said, um, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Yeah, that's right. Black Box Thinking. All those principles will have an effect on what I do daily. I'm not saying I know everything about SNC. That's not it at all. I'll still learn from people like Jonas, um, Stuart, Stuart Millen, Alex Wolf. You still learn all, all, all the time, but you have to then have the skills to apply that within your own context. And sometimes you, you haven't got to change a lot. Hence, Black Box Thinking helped me last year. In the last season, was right. The players were a lot stronger using the Nord board assessment but we'd had a few more soft tissue injuries. Obviously, they happened for a different reason, injuries, not just one thing. Yeah. But I was thinking, okay, so that happened last year. What have I got to change this year within what I can control for a better year? And we did that again by again reflecting as a department, at the whole performance team, and then me and myself with, um, within that as well, to use the approach I've used this year to help mitigate inj injuries, but still enhance per performance so i think again so none of that really was bumper or super training you know yeah. it was just really learning from probably business and the role i'm in now as head of snc what i enjoy the most is coaching but what you've got to do get get better at is actually leading people and that's a completely different skill set that i'm happily saying i'm still need to get better at i'm still passionate about why are you doing half raise and not seed or why are you doing that ISO or that ISO which is important but you have to inspire people to do to do the right thing and express themselves as well so I think my CBD will be go more towards leadership really I think reading books like that and resources like that just reminds you of certain aspects or maybe challenges you in different ways as well, doesn't it? So like you say, it's not necessarily testing your technical knowledge of something, but it might make you just open your mind a little bit more and think, well, what about if we did change that? And what about if we did make that change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that like, you always learn from other disciplines and like even other departments within the own club of how they lead and manage people. Like for example, our head of facilities came from the army. And he's, he's, he's I'm shorter than me. And when he talks, I stop and yeah. I listen, you know? And I just want to, I, I want to have that skill set to, you know, you know, so you can always learn from like different people. And so I think if I spend the day with him, I would learn. Yeah, how to learn. 100%. And so I think you probably forget how much you've got within your own environment that can actually help you improve without even looking outside yet. That's a great point. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good takeaway for coaches as well, is literally look at who are around you right now yeah. and who you can learn from. Because, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think we can learn from absolutely everyone. Yeah, and even when I listen to the manager's um, 
team talks post-match. I'm not listening to the necessarily the messages, how he delivers that message. Yeah. Okay. Everyone's listening here. He's not shouting, you know. Yeah. But you are thinking, okay, you are listening. You are like, I'm I'm taking it on board. Because there were times in the season where we were drawn a few games, but nobody panicked. Um, we still knew what the outcome was. I didn't then change it. I think, oh, okay, we played this many games. Maybe now I'll do only two sets. The process did not change. You, you can still reflect and keep things the same, but you're always learning from everyone on how they talk to people, how they make people feel, really. I think the other lesson on that is, I know you mentioned you got a young family. Try and try and speak to kids. <laughs> try and get, try <laughs> oh, get your yeah. kids to do anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, she, she's only like 18 months, so I'm still in the oh, state. Okay. okay, you got it to yeah. come. I'm, yeah, I'm learning every day. She's teaching at the so it's just absolute chaos. Yeah, but. yeah. Oh, it's just certainly to come. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's been absolutely brilliant, mate. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. If people want to reach out, they want to chat about anything or just literally um, reach out with any questions, where would you direct and where do you spend your time? You know, I don't post anything on Twitter ever. I'm on Twitter just to steal ideas. Yeah. So everything I've got, nothing of it is actually mine, I feel. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll probably give like my, my like email address. I want to talk over the best way really is like email address. Really. Perfect. Well, if, if anyone wants that, drop me an email and then we can always put that out. Um, but no, thank you for coming on, mate. We covered some great stuff there. Again, congratulations on this season. I'll be keeping it out for next season as well. And yeah, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you very, very much. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Big, big thank you to Ivan for coming on the podcast. It was great to catch up with him. Obviously, a really good time as well with the club just going up. But it was great to sort of reflect on the season that they've had. And it very much seems like the culture at the club um, has been very open, honest. And obviously, that's going to be a contribution towards the success of the season as well. So it was great to dive into that. Other takeaways for me were the fact that he was talking about some good coaches and really good quality practitioners making S&C seem so simple. And I think we forget that sometimes we try and overcomplicate things and the very best coaches out there can really simplify things um, and get really good quality work done. And then also the fact he talked about, I think he was um, talking about Arsenal when he said about the framework allowed for expression. So there was a framework in place at the club um, which led, which Des Ryan actually covered really nicely on our event over in Dublin. So the framework was in place, but it allowed individual practitioners to put their own expression on the program as well, which I think is really important for coaches. Then another little tip, which, uh, well, I'll say little, it's a really good point. Never be in the smartness in the room. If you're sitting in the room, you don't feel like you're challenged. You don't feel like you're probably slightly out of your depth. I'd probably say you need a new room. You need to be surrounded by people that are challenging you on a daily basis, whether that is at your club or if it's not at your club, being in a community, maybe an online community, <laughs> somewhere where people can challenge you, maybe that's surrounded by different um, people in different roles, different with different experience levels. I think that's really important. And then he, he spoke about the club as well. One of the big things that the open and honest culture. And I think the fact that if you can, you're in an environment where you can be challenged um, in an open way, but you can also challenge people, I think it's a really important takeaway from this podcast. So big, big thank you to Ivan for coming on. It was great to speak to him. 
First time I've spoke to him, but Des actually spoke quite a bit about him at the event and the work that he'd done at Arsenal. So I was really keen to get him on. So big thank you to him for coming on and freeing up his time. Go and connect with him if you can. And a big thank you again for listening. As always, please head over, leave us a review, whether you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please head over and leave us a review. It does really help the podcast grow. And then just finally from me, Make sure to go and check out our sponsors, The Good Prep, Hytro and Rezzle, all doing some brilliant work. Go and give them at least a follow over on socials. Show them some love, show them some support. Tag them in any retweets as well of the podcast. I really would appreciate that too. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 240.